Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. Let's read Matthew as you stay standing. Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. It is a quick portion of Scripture. Um, I'd like you to stay standing. Um, Matthew chapter 13, verse 24, it says this, Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of God is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. Everybody say good seed. Good seed. But while the man slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servants said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, least while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Take note of that. I'm going to read that again just one more time. He said, no, least while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together. Everybody say together. together. Let them grow together until the harvest or until the end time. And I will say to the reapers, first gather them together, gather the tares together, bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. You may have your seat. I love this particular parable because I believe it speaks to exactly where we are as a nation. This is called the parable of the wheat and the tares. Everybody say the wheat and the tares. If you look and draw your attention to the screen for just one moment, I believe that we have the picture. I would like to show you the difference, and there's not a huge one, between wheat on the left and the tares. The funny thing is, is at its immature state, where it's not fully matured, you cannot really tell the difference between wheat and tares. You may be asking yourself, what is a tear actually? A tear actually is like a weed, and it will not choke the wheat out, but if you tried to pluck up the tear, it would actually uproot the wheat. And so this is what the difference is. Not a whole lot of difference. Kind of reminds me of some Christians and non-believers sometimes. It's getting more and more difficult as we evolve as a nation to tell the difference between Christians and non-Christians. Can somebody say amen? That doesn't speak for ascension. All you guys are fully grown and matured wheat. Come on, somebody say amen to that. We undoubtedly are living in uncertain times. Does everybody agree with that? You can't turn your TV on without suggested headlines filled with divided political views, riots, racism, violence, murder, and all the rest. It's not hard, at least for me it's not hard, to ask the simple question that all of us have either asked or wondered or asking right now, where is God in all of this? 
Somebody say, where is God? Well, I think this prophetic scripture answers and speaks to that very question. For the past year and a half, I have been preaching my heart out. At least I'd like to think that. And I've been sounding this alarm about a coming revival that is about to sweep through the nation. And when we think of revival, we're tempted to simply think that we think of a city, we think of a specific region, or we think of an entire nation being in perfect spiritual, being a perfect spiritual climate before this great awakening takes place, but that's not true at all. Matthew chapter 13, the scripture that I just referenced, actually has the presence of both harvest wheat and tares representing the evil one simultaneously. They're not both mutually exclusive from one another. Both are evident. So this morning, I want to minister from a subject called the prophetic plot. You'll get it in just a moment. Everybody say the prophetic plot. What do I mean by the prophetic plot? Meaning that God, this hasn't taken God by surprise. As a matter of fact, as I told the team in the, in the green room before service started, we are right on time. Everybody say we're on time. It's easy to think that in light of what's happening in our nation right now, that God has either stepped off of his throne and gone on vacation He's wringing his hands, wondering, what am I going to do with these people? Can I suggest to you that there's a third reality? Are you listening? God is not worried whatsoever about what's happening now. He is not surprised. God does not have to call an audible based on what's happening right now. God does not need to call his board of directors that are comprised of 24 elders he doesn't need to call a board meeting and, and ask them, what do you think we should do next? None of this has taken him by surprise. As a matter of fact, this is all a part of the divine plan of God. As a matter of fact, I believe that we are positioned prophetically right now. What do I mean by prophetically? Prophecy means several different things, but Prophecy simply means a foretelling of something that is to come. You know what surprises me more than ever right now? There are so many Christians that are surprised. So I'm surprised that people are surprised regarding what's happening in the nation right now. When if we would simply crack open our Bible to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he said, these things will come to pass before my coming. In other words, they have to take place. So what we're experiencing right now in the nations of the world is all a part of God's prophetic timeline. These things have to come to pass before the end comes. Can I suggest to you that we are not in the end yet, but there are things, there are signals, there are prophetic things that are happening that are signaling to the fact that we are right on track. Say amen. Amen. So we are positioned prophetically. So look at your neighbor and say, don't worry. Come on, look at your other neighbor and say, we're right on time. I want you to take a look at that verse of scripture that I just read in Matthew. And I want you to see how Jesus, look at how Jesus tells this parable. as if he knew that the believer's response would be that very response in the last days, as the last days were approaching. And it says this, so the servants of the owner came and said to him, sir, 
You, didn't you sow good seed in your field? How then do, do we have tares among them? He said to them, an enemy has done this. Now watch this. The servants said to him, do you want us then to go gather them up? Let's get rid of them. But he said, no. Least while you gather them up, the tares will also uproot the wheat with them. Listen, do not for a second believe that revival will be exempt from the presence of evil in these days. Actually, the sign of a great, of great evil is an indication that things are about to shift. There's evidence of both wheat and tares popping up in the last days. Listen, the thing is, is God will allow, he will actually allow evil to rise up to motivate the church to do something. Can I tell you something? For far too long, the church has been lullabied to sleep with political correctness. We have been lullabied to sleep as God's going to bless you even if you don't live a holy lifestyle. God is going to bless you as you sit on your blessed assurance and have a prayerless life. Listen, let me tell you something. One, one thing that the, that, that the body of Christ will do, they will get motivated when things start happening in the church and in the world. And that's exactly what you're seeing happening. You are seeing the enemy, and I believe he's overplaying his hand. I believe he's overplayed it. What does that mean? I believe that when the enemy starts activating things, you start to see his hand at work in families, in our government, in the presidency, in his cabinet, all these different things happening. What it will do is it will cause spiritual irritation on the giant that's on the inside of you. In other words, the God part of you, that part of you that is an intercessor, intercessor but you've been sleeping, that godly part of you saying, listen, as for me and my household, we're gonna serve the Lord. We're not gonna live this kind of lifestyle. So what, what evil will do. The presence of evil will wake you up out of your slumber and say, it's time to pray as a family. It's time to get back to the table, put our phones away, hold hands, say grace. Come on, all the Southerners. Well, there ain't no Southerners in here. I was about to say Southerners say amen. All God's people say amen. There's a few of you out there. God will allow. Everybody say God. He won't cause. He will allow close proximity of the tares. Watch this. He'll allow close proximity of the tares and hope in hopes that the wheat will convert it. Oh, that's so good. Did you hear what I just said? Revival is not excluded from evil. Evil will always be a part of it. If you see any great awakening that's taken place in our nation, it's always been birthed out of something negative that's happened. The Great Depression. Come on. The Great Depression happened. Then you had revival that hit. It's, it's always been a part of it. There's always been great wheat and harvest, but also great tares. And then God's hope is that when evil begins to sprout its ugly head up all over the world, he's hoping that Christians' proximity to it will get those tares saved. Come on. He, he's, he's, you, you want Bible scripture? I'll give you a Bible scripture in, in just a second. But watch this. Have you ever thought about why the, in the word of God, in Genesis, the Lord cast Satan out of heaven. Does everybody know that? In Isaiah, it's found in Isaiah. If you read the book of Isaiah, it's a long book. It, it, gives, it gives the actual uh, details on why God cast him out of heaven. He was a worship angel. He was dressed in timbrels and harps and flutes and there were diamonds all over him. He was the Matt Gilman of heaven. I've told you guys this before. Well, in this case, he was the... Um, Rebecca of heaven. 
And due to his pride, he gets cast out of heaven. But think about where God stuck him. God could have sent and, and, and sent him out anywhere. He could have sent him in the galaxy for humanity never to be left alone and heaven never to be untainted ever again. But God doesn't choose the galaxy. He doesn't choose, you know, what do you call it? Extra, what is that when you remove, what is it? You know, when you, when you send someone out, you like exiled him. That's a good word. I was looking for another one, but that's good enough. He could have exiled him anywhere in the whole galaxy, but look where he chose. Where did he choose? He chose to cast him down to earth where God knew that humanity would be born and would live and would raise families. I can't help but think about God intentionally allowing a tear to be sowed right next to his creation. I wonder if God thought to himself, I'm going to let my kids deal with you. I'm going to let that just soak for just one moment. I wonder if God intentionally allowed the tear to be sown right next to us so that we could torment the enemy for the rest of our lives. And that's how much confidence God has in you in this season of time that you're living in. Do you know you are living in historic times right now? God has chosen you divinely. He could have chosen anyone else to be in this season of time, but he trusted you to be here, right here, right now, to deal with the evils that surround us to be a praying people, to be faithful no matter how much temptation comes your way, to be faithful with reading your word, having a relationship with God. You've been chosen for such a time as this. Look at somebody and say, you've been chosen. Watch what it says right here in Job. I'll give you a scripture reference. In Job chapter one, verse six through eight, it says, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered and said to him, excuse me, the Lord said to him, excuse me, from going, oh, excuse me, the devil said to him, from going to and fro on the earth, from walking back and forth. Now watch, here's why I'm here. I want to read this first. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him. There's none like him on all the earth. He is blameless. He's a blameless man and he's upright and he's one who fears God and shuns evil. So God was saying, go try my servant Job. That's how much confidence God has in you in this season of time that you're living in. So God intentionally allowed Satan to go torment Job. He was like a tear. Here, I'm gonna put you right next to this piece of wheat and let's see if you can, come on. And God will allow certain tears to be sown next to your life. Whatever sphere of influence, that might be at your job. Come on, hopefully it's not a family member right? To see what you do with it. Because in the end times, you're going to see both uprising together. And I truly believe it's because the church of Jesus Christ is called to convert the tares, not sit and complain about them as you watch social media and the news. And so instead of asking God the reason for the present evils that are being here, how about we start to ask him, Lord, what do you want to do with me? How do you want to use me as I'm put in this situation surrounded by all these tears? Somebody say, Lord, use me. You know, my son, Cohen, he's funny, to say the least. He's not in the room, thank God. So I'm standing next to my truck, um, two days ago. I think it was Friday, actually. And he asked me the most odd question. And I wasn't even thinking, I really thought about it after. I'm like, 
That's a sermon. He says, because I'm in the painting industry, he says to me, Dad, what color attracts the heat the most? The sun. Have you thought about that? Black or dark colors. And I, and I, especially if you wear black t-shirts. I found that out because our signs and all of our, all of our logos, all of that stuff is black and white. Gets really, I drive a black truck, right? And I work in the painting industry. So black really attracts the sun. And so, and so some people know that physically. And all the white people say, thank you, Jesus. We get red. So, so the darker the color is, the more it attracts the sun. Amen? And so what people are doing is they're retreating from evil when evil is beckoning the child of God to rise up in the inside of you so you can minister to it and minister life and light to it. So we are called in this hour. It's not that we're attracted to evil to want to do evil, but God has set it up to where children of light should shine in the dark places, not run from it. This is not a time for you to, to run from what's happening in the world or to fold up and to just say, God, what are you going to do? You know what I believe God is saying? If, he could, if we could hear his voice out loud, when you say that, when you're watching YouTube or you're watching social media or Facebook or Instagram or Fox or CNN, when we say, God, what are you going to do? You know what I believe he's saying? What are you going to do? When are you going to pray? When are you going to use your mouth as a positive weapon against the enemy through intercession and prayer versus saying, what are we going to do? What are we going to do about our children? What are we going to do about our nation? What are we going to do about our jobs? What are you going to do? And what am I going to do? Amen? So the Lord has positioned us in this hour to shine in the dark places, not to retreat from it, nor blend into it. Because we are children of God and we have the Most High residing, the Holy Spirit residing on the inside of us. And if there's any time to shine in the dark places, it is now. Amen? Number two, I want to talk about the corrupted crops. Everybody say the corrupted crops. Listen, you know what I found out about the enemy? The enemy, God hasn't given him the power to stop the wheat from growing. He doesn't have that kind of power, but he does have levels of power. How do I know that? You remember, speaking of Job, this just came to mind. God gave him levels of authority over Job. Remember that? He said, Lord, let me take Job's stuff away, and I guarantee you he'll curse you to your face. And you know what God says? You can take anything from him, but you can't touch his body. Excuse me, you can't touch his soul. You can't kill him. There's only a level that God gave him. Amen? Everybody say a level. So there's only levels that the enemy has given. There's degrees of authority. And one authority, he cannot stop children of God from rising. But what he does have the authority, he has authority to step in and corrupt your soil if you allow it. And, and so when you read this scripture, the reason the enemy was allowed and get given the permission to, to sow tares in the soil is because they were sleeping. Do you know why we're seeing all this in America? Because we've been sleeping. Church, don't preach politics. We don't, we don't want to do that. We don't want to teach morality. We don't want to teach our people don't kill babies. We want to give everybody an option here. We want to keep our clean, clean, hands clean. I'm going to touch on some things today, and I may lose some people. But I'm going to kind of give you, I'm going to give it to you a little bit politically today. I normally don't talk about this, but if you'll just give me some grace. 
But I believe it's, it's, it's like living in a house that's been unmaintained for five or 10 years. Haven't swept, haven't cleaned, haven't done anything. And then when you decide to start stirring every, all the dust up, people start sneezing and you, your allergies start getting to you. America is reacting like this because we have someone in there that's stirring up the pot and stirring the dust. And so you've, now you've got all these frustrations. You've got all this chaos ensuing, but it's not because we necessarily have a bad president, right? It's, it's the fact that we have left America and the United States of America, the moral, uh, the moral standards of our country decay and, and develop all this dust. And so now we're trying to clean house and make up for what we should have maintained this whole time. It's called maintenance, but the church hasn't maintained its moral standard, holiness, purity, righteousness, holy living. And then now we've got all these problems now because we've left our spiritual lives unmaintained. So there's all these corrupted crops. And I've never in my life seen so many Christians, I'm not talking about us, I'm talking about globally in general, being so corrupted. But it shouldn't be any surprise. In Mark chapter 13, it says this, for false Christ and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders and deceive many, watch this, even the elect, if possible. It means if you are God, one of God's righteous, one of his chosen ones, the enemy wants to convert your wheat into a tear, if it's possible. So the enemy can't stop you from becoming wheat. What he does is he comes to try to corrupt. Can I tell you if there's any, been any time to pray and intercede? Listen, my, my feet do not hit the ground out of bed before I put on the armor of God in the morning. It just doesn't. We're not in a day and age where we can take this Christianity lightly. Now, what do I mean by that? The Bible, and, and, and I wasn't planning to go here, and I'm not going to go here, uh, put it up on the screen, but it's uh, Ephesians chapter 6. It talks about the full armor of God. Everybody say the full armor of God. And it talks about this armor that you put on as a child of God. It talks about the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the shield of faith, the sandals of the gospel of peace, the helmet of salvation, all these different pieces of armor. Why? He says, you need to put this on so that you could withstand in the evil day because the evil day is here. And let me tell you something. You cannot live in the world that we live in today and not be dressed in God's armor because you will end up a spiritual casualty if you don't get it on. What do I mean? How do you put on the armor? I speak it on myself every single day. When my, before my feet hit the ground, I declare the armor of God over my life. I think, I, I'm like, Lord, I thank you that I'm dressed in the armor of God. I thank you that when the enemy tries to throw darts at me, I thank you that my mind is guarded with the helmet of salvation so he doesn't put terrible thoughts in my mind, so I begin to live them out. Or I ask the Lord to protect my heart with the breastplate of righteousness, so things that shouldn't go in my heart, like bitterness, like unforgiveness, like unrighteous thoughts, offense, whatever it might be, I dress myself in the armor, because on the other side at work, I know there's a client that's going to try to tick me off, or a loved one who's going to say something to me wrong. But it's so important in the days and age that we're living in to dress fully in the armor of God, because the enemy's desire is to sift you as wheat to cause your crops to become corrupted. But can I tell you that we are called to convert his crops into wheat? Come on, say amen. Come on, because we have authority. We have power. We have the righteous one living on the inside of us. And so the proximity of the tares is an opportunity for you to minister and to become, to show yourself a child of the light. 
Come on, somebody say, I'm a child of the light. There was a story in Matthew chapter 21, and this is the story of Jesus walking through a certain region. And he walks by a fig tree. I can quickly read the story to you. It says, now in the morning, Matthew chapter 21, verse 18, for your reference, to verse 22. It says, now in the morning, as Jesus returned to the city, he was hungry. Everybody say he was hungry. I love this. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves. And he said to it, let no fruit grow on you ever again. Immediately the fig tree withered away. When his disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the tree wither away so soon? And so Jesus answered and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you'll not only do what was done to the fig tree, but you'll also do greater things than this, like cast mountains into the sea and so forth. Here's the whole point of the story, is that this tree looked like a fig tree. It smelled like a fig tree, but it had no evidence of fruit in its life. Can I tell you that most Christians that we are seeing in the world look like this fig tree? And we're in a time and season where God is asking for fruit. Show me your fruit. Look at somebody and say, show me your fruit. Watch this, Luke, not to, not to drown you in so much scripture. Listen what Luke says about it. He says, for a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. Listen, we are entering into a day where just saying you're a Christian is not good enough. Jesus is demanding fruit. Where is the holiness? That's what God is saying. Where is the holiness? Where is the righteousness? Where is the fear of God? Where is the fruit? Does the side that you're voting for at least have some kind of Christian values. Oh, Lord Jesus, help us this morning. Or does it only appease your tax preferences at the end of the year and fit your medical budget? I told you it was going to be tough this morning. I'm a business owner, I understand. And listen, if God gave it if I had it my way and I didn't understand the scriptures, what the word of God said, I would choose everything to appease Donnie Smith's life and to appease me and fit my financial. I mean, what business owner wants their taxes raised? Right? But at some point, I'll tell you this. I had a good friend of mine. He's a very good friend of mine. He's a worship leader. He was a worship leader and uh, helped lead worship at a mega church. And we were doing about 10,000 people back then. It was massive. I mean, I had to do parking lot just to get people out and into this parking lot. It's huge. And um, he came by the other day just to kind of see where I was. This guy I love like a brother. I hope he's not watching. And I would give my right arm for this gentleman. I love him very dearly. And he came and he sat with me and he wanted to know where I was at. Listen, if Jesus were an option as a candidate, that's who I would be voting in. I wouldn't vote for anybody, but that's not the option. But as we begin to sit down and talk, he's not a business owner, but I thought to myself, um, you know, do I want to vote for someone who appeases my personal lifestyle, 
right? Working around my lifestyle, my taxes. And of course, we pay lots of money for um, medical and all those different things. I understand all those things, but those are preferences. Preferences. Everybody say preferences. But then I, I said, but he asked me, and I said, let me ask you something as he's leaving. I said, I understand all those other th- things. You know, politics, they're debatable. I, I'm anything but a politician. Like, I don't, I don't even enjoy talking about politics. But I asked him this question, and this is going to hurt. Look at somebody and say, wait for it. I said, tell me how you get around this one. I said, I understand the little rocks, taxes, things like that. But when it comes to destroying life, as a Christian, how do you get around this one? How do you get around it? I can get around the taxes, preferences. Doesn't fit my lifestyle. I'd rather make money. I don't want to lose money. Medical, I understand that. Different, all these different things. I don't even know politics that well, but I just know when I get to these big rocks, as a believer, we cannot get around. And here's what I said to him. I said, I may lose your friendship over this, but I love you too much to be silent about this. He's my best friend. I wanted one of my best friends. I, I, I wanted to just squeeze him. I said, you tell me, how do you get around the big rock? He said, you know what he said? This is a bona fide believer. He can quote the scriptures like me. He said, it's their choice. I said, so someone's mistakes, there's children in the room, someone makes a mistake morally, and then we destroy their life for your mistake. If they had a choice, what if that child had a voice? What if that child's lungs was developed and had a voice? What choice would that child make? No, you can't give that child. You have, the child has no option. We're making the decision for them. How do you get around these rocks? And so if you are a believer, let me ask you something. There's, there's not your political view, but, but how do we get around these tough biblical questions as it relates to, to life in the womb? Amen? So does your political views line up with the word of God? That's a big question. Not does it line up with your preferences. Does it line up with God's word? At the end, not does it line up with your culture. Not does it line up with your preferences or your desires or fit your finances. Does it line up with God's word? Because at the end of the day, we will stand before heaven one day. And you can't patch up your prayer life. There is no repentance when you get to the judgment seat. He's going to reward each according to his works and the way that they lived out. This is not necessarily always a heaven and hell issue, but let me tell you something. When you stand before the judgment seat, you cannot plead ignorance. You cannot plead ignorance. You cannot plead ignorance. You can only plead the blood. So I proceeded to tell him, whomever you decide to vote for, whoever that is, and we don't have the best options, and I understand that, but whoever you decide, it bears consequence. And the blood that is on their hands will be on yours. Come on, somebody say amen to that. That deserves a hand clap. So, if we are believers, do you have fruit in your life that reflects that? I know that childhood song, this little light of mine I'm going to let it shine. But after 15 years plus serving the Lord, your light should not be that small. Because we should go from glory to glory, from faith to faith. And what we're voting for, what we're doing, the way that we're living out our lives, the fruit that we're bearing should be a reflection of the God that's on the inside of us.
and our decisions. Come on, somebody say amen. Number three, I'm almost done. We are positioned for uprooting. We are positioned for uprooting. Listen to what he says. Let both grow together until the harvest. Let both good and evil, let both, can we put up the wheat and the tares? Let both good and evil sprout up together. Let both grow together until the harvest. Everybody say the harvest. And at that time of the harvest, I will say to my reapers, God means, reapers means angels because they gather at the end. First, gather them together, gather the tares together, bind them in bundles and burn them, but gather the wheat into my barns, into heaven. It's easy to think or say, God, we need to get rid of the current corrupt evil in our world. And I partially agree with that. Partially. I'll say, I do agree, but I partially agree. And here's why. However, the previous calm seas have put the church to sleep, as I've said before. And the tares have always been there. Do you know that evil has always been in the White House? It's always been in our government. It's always been in our world. I have to be careful because the children in here, I can't, I can't wait till we have children's ministry again and I can really talk to y'all. There's this boldness coming up inside of me. It's always been there. But something's been happening lately where the snake's nest is being stirred and now it's simply being exposed. It was always there. It's just now being exposed. And God will allow us to be positioned and allow these tares to come up right beside us because he desires to uproot it in our nation. Because God's eye is still on the United States of America. It's still one of the greatest countries. Yes, it's made some bad decisions, but have you been overseas lately? You think we have it bad? My God, fly overseas across the lake somewhere and you'll see what's bad. It's bad. Look at somebody and say, it's bad. We live in a great nation, and I just heard a prophecy this morning, and I believe it to be true, that God still has plans to prosper and strengthen America. But listen, in order for us to go forward, we may have to go backwards, and we may have to do some cleaning up. But can I tell you, it starts with our prayers as a church, and it starts with our God-given right to put the right person in office. It may not be the perfect person. It may be a person who's full of mistakes. But it may be that very person that, like Jesus did when he walked into the temple and seen some things being done wrong, he flipped the tables. Don't judge the flipping of tables when it just might be necessary in the times that we're living in. We are positioned for uprooting. And can I tell you where the uprooting starts? What did you say? Did you say something? Yes, exactly. The Bible says judgment. Yes, it starts in the heart. But judgment starts with the house of the Lord first. So guess what? If we want America cleaned up, guess what we got to start with? We have to start with us. We have to start with the church. We have to start with living out what we've been preaching and talking about. We got to start living out what we've been singing about. We got to start living out what we quote. We have to start living out in our private life what we sing about publicly. And the reason that you're seeing this great divide is because the sifting has started. Look at somebody and say, it's begun. God is separating the wheats from the tares and the sheep from the goat. 
And you are seeing what's being exposed in this nation right now as the snake's nest is being stirred. The lies, the corruption, the children's trafficking. I'm being light when I say that. If you've seen some of the things I've seen and heard lately from some, some places, let me tell you something. This evil has always been in America, but it just so happens now that the man who's in office is stirring a nest and it's all those snakes. Listen, when you're stepping on the snake, his, his tail begins to wiggle. But let me tell you something. God is allowing this stuff to be exposed so he can clean America and make it great, truly, again. He's not going to use just one. He's not going to just, just use two. He's going to use a body of believers in the time and day that we're living in. Hallelujah. We cannot conquer what we can't confront. We cannot defeat what, we're, what we refuse and what we ignore as being there. There's some things that I've seen lately that I have, my God, with children. And I've seen these things with Wayfair. How many know what Wayfair is? Yeah, I'm going to talk about it. We've been quiet way too long. We've been quiet. Way, I've been quiet way too long. You know, I've had to repent lately. I said, Lord, I, I want to lose some people. Lord, you, you go talking about stuff like this. It, it's, you know, walking on the edge, but just the sale of, of, of children and just the things that are happening and, and this new world order that's beginning to take place. Church, I'm telling you, it's time to pray. And it's time to be, it's time to, to speak up. It's time to not put up with certain things. It's time to vote. Look at somebody and say, it's time to vote. It's time to vote. Listen, as I, as I mentioned before, it, the, the way I've chosen to vote, and can I, can I be honest with you? I'm going to expose myself right now, and I, the team asked me why. And, and, I, and I, I've been, the past four years, excuse me, I've only voted for the past four years. Don't ask me why. Because I, I justified it. And I would say things like, you know, they're both, both sides are just ridiculous. You know, it's like, I wish Jesus was an option, you know. And I justified it that way. But did you know by not voting, I was actually voting for the eviler party? You know? And so the past four years, actually my wife was the first one who got me to vote. Was that four years ago, honey? Four or five years ago. And so now I've never been in politics, but now more than ever. And here's how I've decided to vote. Put away your demographic. Put away your own belief system. Put away the way that you've been raised. Look at the Bible. They're not going to line up perfectly. And find the person who gets closest, remotely closest to what you see here, Amen. at least value-wise. Can I make it really easy for you? Yeah. Make it really easy. Find out who the Satanists are voting for and vote the opposite. That's good, ain't it? Find out who the Satanists are voting for. Just vote the other side, and you'll be good. Number four, and I close. We are positioned for harvest. We are positioned for harvest. Now, before I get into this next point, I'm going to show you a video. Don't put the video up just yet. This may hurt some of you. But I fully to believe this video to be fully true. I'd recently been, I want to tell you how I ran across it. And, and if you want to watch the video on your own time, 
you're not going to probably have much time to watch it because it keeps getting taken down. You know your pastor, he, I study revival. I love revival. Something happens, I start reading about it, and I start crying. What I mean by revival, I don't mean a weekend. You know, people coming together and lots of people come and then it dies out. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about something that happens sovereignly by God where it changes the moral climate of people's lives. Where people truly just have this weight in their heart, this, 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 just this awareness of God like never before. And it changes families. It changes lives. It changes the city. It changes the whole nation. And we're still feeling the effects of what happened. Do you know how all these churches and denominations got planted? Revivals that had sparked up. And then they fizzled out and they created a domination and tried to keep the fire going, but they couldn't because a true fire cannot be controlled. <laughs> it can't be. It's out of control. It looks messy. The services won't look great, but let me tell you something. They're filled with fire and they're filled with effective fire and it changes our lives. And so I was studying recently before I seen this video. I've, been, I've studied about the Azusa Street Revival. How many have heard about the Azusa Street Revival? Over, I think it was I think 600 denominations got birthed out of, if I may be misquoting that, miscalibrating that, but I, I ran across this revival that had happened years ago, and um, it's called the Hebrides Revival. It's off of Scotland, and it was a little island off the Isle of Lewis, and these two old women, one of them hunched over, and you'll hear in this video, this revival sparks and we're talking about schools were emptied. Listen, they said 75% of the people who got saved got saved before they made it to the church doors. You would go out into this field and there would be field. There were 6,000 people on the island. Everybody got saved. We're talking about healings. We're talking about signs and wonders. It changed the whole climate of the, of the island. And uh, as I was researching it, I ran across this. Take a look. There was a great revival in the Hebrides in the early 1900s. Began to move, moved up to the pleading for it into the 40s. Maybe we could say it topped out in the early 50s. Two old women, one was 84 years old and one was 82 years old. One was blind and one was humped over so badly with spinal stenosis, just arched over. But they had passion for revival. They wanted God to work. This, this is what happened. They couldn't even get out to the church to pray. They couldn't even get out to the church to worship. Their house became a place to meet. People came in. They got so passionate about revival coming to the, their isle, the Isle of Lewis. They got so passionate about it. They confronted the preacher and wanted to know if he was thoroughly right with God. <laughs> and they prayed and prayed and prayed. And they'd seen the Lord, they said, with the church filled up and God blessing a great overflow. And the fire of God struck that tiny little obscure place off the coast of Scotland. And when it happened, there was a young teenage boy that got saved in it. His name was Donald. And the preacher became so dependent upon Donald and so close to Donald, he would ask him to lead in public prayers and help him with the meetings, and he did. Oh, how God worked. People began to hear about it, and the revival fire spread. It spread. 
God blessed in a, in a great way. Those two old women, the people, kind of people, people don't want in a church anymore. And from that same island, there was a, a young girl who was a cousin to Donald Smith who immigrated to America. Her name was Marianne Smith McLeod. She came to America and in 1936. She met a man named Fred and they were married. They fell in love, they were married. God blessed in a great way. And those old women were her aunts. And they came out of that fiery revival, that fiery revival, they really experienced revival. And they sent a Bible, a copy of the Word of God that had been used in a special way in that revival to Mary Ann. She started having children. I think it was 1937, she had her first child. They named him after his father, Fred. Then she had her second child, named after herself, Mary Ann. Then she had her third child, Elizabeth. Then she had her fourth child. And she was so impacted by this teenage boy God had used in that revival of the Hebrides. She named him Donald. And she gave him that Bible, the Hebrides Revival Bible. He was born in 1946. He's now the 45th president of the United States. And that revival Bible is in the Oval Office. I'm saying to you, I don't know how, why, I don't know how it all comes together. But I, but I believe God is putting some things together to give us just a window, just a window. If he, if he could find some open people who know what the wind is for. Can this be the time the wind is open? Providentially, God has prepared the moment and we will become the people of prayer pleading with God, this is a plea, will thou not revive us again? Will you, will, you, will you be a part of that? Will you? Will you just stand to your feet for just a moment? So many things that I don't agree on both sides. I just know this that I am excited to see the wheat and the tares because it's just a sign that harvest is coming. And we're closer than we've ever, we've ever been to the revival that I believe that God is gonna spark in the earth. John chapter four, verse 35 says this. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they're already white for harvest. It's harvest time, church. In this specific um, context, in John chapter 4, 
Jesus is talking to his disciples. As he's talking to his disciples, the disciples were asking him a question. This was right after a conversation that Jesus just had with an immoral woman. She had been married to five different men. She had made some wrong choices, certainly. And this was a time of great racism in this context because Jesus was not supposed to be talking to this woman. She was a Samaritan. She was a mixed Jew. He wasn't even supposed to be in that region. So his disciples were asking him. Just this past week, I sat with a couple people, one on Thursday and one on Friday, and this began to show me that I had been on track this whole year and a half that I've been talking about revival. These two people, they had money. I mean, they, they're, they're in, in a good place. Both of them claimed to be believers. As I sat with both of them, they wept like babies. And they said, you know, I've been a Christian my whole life, but I've been apathetic. And one thing that everything is, that's happening in America, the one thing is that I feel the desire to pursue God like never before. Guys, we're in a spiritual climate that is ripe and ready. According to John, he says the harvest is white. But you know what? The laborers are few. And this is a window of time that God is going to use to do something in America that he's never done before. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.